Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back, everybody. Today we're talking season two, episode nine, Framed for Murder. And yep. yeah, I don't know if you are thinking the same thing. This is not one of my favorites. Yeah, it's not one of my favorites either. It has some elements that are fun, some things that I like. Great costumes in this one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. Maybe it's just by this point, the whole let's pick another trope from the 20s and play it out <laughs> is getting a little. <laughs> literally like played out yeah played out yeah but of course I mean you can't talk about you can't talk about the late 20s without talking about film because that was a major 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 innovation um film was not invented then but that they made leaps and bounds during that era so yeah I think if they had left it out it would have been a glaring omission but I also I super didn't care about this murder I mean even more so than than I usual know, I know murders plural yeah I really really didn't care and um I think my my overarching problem first off there is not enough banter and I need me some banter yeah I only wrote down like two things mm-hmm. they're like two scenes with Jack and Franny bantering one is over a body so we do have banter over the body <laughs> Bob. Bob but but I think I like just in terms of the story arc, this one doesn't seem to fit. So if we back up two episodes, they kind of broke up in, because uh, two episodes ago was Blood at the Wheel. Right. Where they... Angstorama. Yeah, Angstorama. Um, and so they like, quote unquote, broke up in that one. And then the next one was The Blood of One of the Mad, in which they very... Mopity mope un- mope. <laughs> yeah, it was Go a pro. super awkward yeah. episode. And it was an unsatisfactory resolution of their breakup. Not enough to handle it, but but that's where we left things. And then we're on set and suddenly Franny's interested in film, which I can completely see. However, it would and have been a nice. And film backer because, yeah. you know, anything she's interested in, she plonks down the cash, <laughs> apparently. And I love that. And I feel like she would have been involved in that, but I oh, wish sure. that it would have been like a thread throughout somehow I don't I don't know how you would bring this out but it's just like and this is the movie making one yeah and it's just thrown in there so randomly I I guess the thing I I'm only thinking of this now that you bring this up but I guess I guess if there's one thing I'd want this show to do that it doesn't is plant seeds for other episodes Mm -hmm. and it kind of does with Murdoch Foyle yeah. In the first season, but then they never do again. Like the second season is basically all one-off episodes. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I'm think like the 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 real great with that was Arrested Development. You know, where like Buster would be like, "What would I ever do without my hand?" Oh, and yeah. then like a season and a half later, <laughs> he loses his hand. But yeah, you know, they were pros. They at were that. pros at that. But even just something little like Franny is a theater investor. There's no mention of any of this other any of these other pies right. into which Franny has her fingers. This one just kind of got shoehorned in and yeah. it's, it just feels really random and doesn't really help the story arc with Jack and Franny. And I also have to say Hugh in this one is in dumbass mode. 
I think he's adorable uh, with the whole like how does he how does he get onto the horse? Okay, yeah. From the train. That Did you cute. ask him? <laughs> that part is very cute. But I'm thinking of when they're going through the garbage. Well, that's true. And he's just a total jerk to Dot and is treating her very dismissively. And of course, in searching through the garbage, she finds these film magazines that end up like breaking the case wide open. But yeah. the whole time he's like, this is something a man has to do, dig through garbage. And yeah, she lets him off the hook. And I wish she hadn't. Yeah. I wish she had given him what for. Well, but she did. She did fake him out on what was that tidbit that she said? Oh, oh yeah. Does it really say that? No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she got him back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the premise is they're on a film set and the cold open, I kind of do love the cold open because it's like a bird's eye view kind of walking. Well, okay. Yeah, that's if birds fun. walked, it would birds. walk through the set. <laughs> birds walk. And there's all this like random stuff happening because the actors are practicing or like. Yeah, and there's props I guess they out call in the it, alley. And... Yeah, they call it rehearsing, I guess, in that in that world. <laughs> Not practicing. But yes, the, the actors are, <laughs> are rehearsing scenes and they're all very random. And so it's kind of a fun like yeah. walk through the film and set. And there's like props from the previous movie or whatever mm-hmm. out back and. Um, there was a little tidbit that I just loved that it wasn't at the, it wasn't during the opening. It was later, um, but it was another establishing shot where it showed an actress having a cigarette break and she's like dressed up like a goddess and she's got the, you know, the, the wind is blowing her scarf and there's this like American Southwest backdrop behind her and then it <laughs> yes. moves, you know, the scrim kind of moves away. I thought that was a fun little, that is yes, little moment. That is a nice moment. And the tap dancing women in the alley and right yeah it's it's pretty fun like it's a fun world that they dropped us into kind of along the lines of the circus yeah I think and I really enjoy that I like being a fly on the wall with these different worlds yeah so I appreciate that very much um there is the scene of the slave being flogged in the cold open Yeah. yeah There's the whole slave bit is actually a bookend to either mm-hmm. end of the show, and I have s- such a problem with that. Yeah, I figure we're going to talk about this <sighs> later, so maybe I'll just I'll just leave that there for now, and then yeah. we can move on. Yeah. Um. So, so the first um scene, one of the first scenes is the banter over the body. And I kind of love how put out Jack and Hugh are that Franny was called first. Yeah. And she, it was only because of her that they got called at all. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like that. They're yeah. visibly upset about playing second fiddle here. Yeah. You know, it, this comes up, this doesn't come up right away, but with, with that body, you know, they threw the spears at him and then the blood. It's confusing later because when Clara, um, falsely confesses to that murder. She says, I'm the one who drugged him. But nobody brings up the fact that if you throw a spear at an already dead corpse, it's not going to bleed. Yeah, that's true. I thought that was going to be the big red herring. I thought she was going to say, well, you couldn't have done it because they threw spears at him through the scrim Mm -hmm. and he bled through the scrim and dead bodies don't bleed. They never bring that up, so it's not actually clear how the guy died. But he had to have been died. He had have died. Had to have died by the spears. Yeah, you would. He think. was definitely Although alive. He if, had blood seeping out of his mouth, which I don't feel like. But would in order to bleed happen. through the scram, he would have had to have been alive. Well, if if they'd punctured his lung or something, he could have 
He could have bled from the mouth. So maybe, did they say he was just drugged? Like he was just really yeah, soundly asleep? I think he asleep, was like and passed so out. He was alive when yeah, he the had spears were thrown. Yeah. But nobody ever mentions it again. Like, oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> but true. you're right. There, actually, that seems similar to um, Gosford Park. What happens? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Once again, convoluted plot. Although... And so, like, I'd watched, I've watched this many, many times. I watched it again before this we This is were... only the second time I've seen it. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. It gets a big meh from me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a meh-worthy episode for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. You know what? I haven't watched this one all that much. It's one that I skip. I feel a little bad. We've been meh about three episodes in a row. I have sad news for you. The next one is also a meh. But mm. after that we get to two really good ones and then and then the add-on the christmas one. Oh yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so yeah. so there's after the next one, episode 10, I will be excited again. So, I mean, I'm still excited. I love this show. But Sure. But yeah, I feel a little bad when I'm like, and this isn't my favorite yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. So anyway. Great costumes in this though. Holy cow. All right, I take it away. Buttloads of costume notes, good. both good, ladies good. and men. Um, first of all, that, so when we first see Phryne, she is in that incredible mauve velvet jacket with the chartreuse silk lining. And that color combination is so unusual and so beautiful. I And I'm so happy that she's in that for a lot of scenes because it is so beautiful. And you can see all these little details like the the fabric-covered um, pink silk buttons on the, that chartreuse giant cuff and, oh, and the matching velvet hat that goes with it. Oh, it's just oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, and Clara gets some good outfits in this as well. She's got that... Um, that print dress with the repeat pattern of, I think those are carnations. They're, I actually drew it here. It's those little um, flowers oh, that are sideways. Yeah. I think they're carnations. Hmm. Um, and then uh, she has a maroon dress on later with white piping and mm. like a tie around the neck and pockets, big patch pockets. pockets. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the director's outfit. Uh, yes. You yes, know, yes. That yes. seems to be the one that people have kind of fixated on. Uh-huh. I... It's a it's a great moment when she shows up in that thing, but I didn't think it was I don't know. I was like, Yay, director's outfit. Moving on. <laughs> I just it's so take charge. True. I love the it. The boots are awesome. The boots I've been looking for boots like that ever since I saw this. This is like full on bondage boots. Oh, Those are good. I love them. And then yeah. she wears them again when she's flying. But oh no, I love this outfit. And the presentation, like when she rolls up in the alley and she gets out and they have the camera down below, angled up, and like yeah. it's so good. And I think I think it's like the power implied yeah. by the outfit that people have responded to. At least I have. Yeah. And did you know that there's an actual pattern I did know. for this outfit? You told me this. Yes. And Butterick. Didn't somebody make this at the Miss Fisher Con? Yes. Lauren Watkins. It was one of her you outfits. You have such a good memory for names. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I try, but... Um, oh, yes. Yeah. She was... She of the Organza Tacos uh-huh. fame. Organza Tacos. Yeah, no, she had a different outfit every single day, and that was, I think, day one. Um, but, yeah, it's a Butterick pattern, and they, on the cover of it, and it's like a vintage one, because sometimes they do that. They bring back sewing right. patterns from olden days, and this is like 
history or something. I don't know. It's in some kind of side line, yeah. but, um, but the model on the front of the package looks like Miss Fisher. Yeah. Black Bob. She's wearing like dark sunglasses and has a suitcase behind her. It's so perfect. That's I love great. it. So somebody at Butterick watches the show. Yeah. And that's pretty, pretty awesome. I yeah. have to say. Well, and actually one of my favorite outfits from the whole thing is on a background character for like one second. Really? Yeah. When Phryne takes charge as director and she has the staff meeting before the breakfast where she says, you know, breakfast is served. One of the, I don't know, one of the tech crew, it's, I'm guessing makeup artist or maybe props mistress or maybe costume customer. She is wearing this incredible beige and cream block outfit oh where yeah. the collar has these three on each each lapel it there's these three three beige stripes the sleeves are in cream the bodice is in beige and then there's these it's got there's so much going on there's like three squares like mm-hmm. almost like a chest of drawers down the <laughs> bodice and then there's vertical stripes on the skirt huh just two of them like that exactly occupy the gaps between the drawer. Oh. It's unbelievable. Wow. Just, oh, we need a screen grab of that. Yeah. Okay. We I need a screen that, grab of that. Put that in the show notes. Yeah. The other thing that I love about this is the menswear is just fantastic. Um, Raymond, our friend slash murder suspect at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, he's wearing a fairly innocuous standard wool, possibly tweed suit at the beginning. But if you look closely, his buttons, the buttons on the suit are made of mother of pearl. Hmm. So they gleam, like they stand out, they're white, they're kind of large, and they're just beautiful. And he wears it, he's still wearing that at the cocktail party, but he swapped out his tie from the maroon tie for a white tie. So he instantly goes to more formal. Huh. And of course it fits him like a glove, like his mm-hmm. his shirt cuffs are the exact right length and he's got this little <laughs> pocket square that's folded unusually it doesn't have it's not in a triangle above his pocket it's actually just a little sliver almost like piping huh. i usually you don't, usually don't see pocket squares folded that way but it's very elegant and understated and oh he's clearly <sighs> a man of of wealth yeah yeah who's blowing all his wealth on this very expensive <laughs> hobby of his yes speaking of the cocktail party let's talk about that outfit the gold sequin dress mm. that Franny wears. I was looking more at Lily's um, lavender dress with the diamond Yes, the panels. bias cut. Yeah. yeah. That is really nice. Yeah, and those sleeves, like sleeves yeah. for days. <laughs> I really, yeah, I love her dress. Yeah. The gold one is like the gold version of my favorite outfit. And actually, I think the gold one is um, is Jojo Stiletto's favorite outfit from the oh, entire series. Interesting. I believe. But... Mine is it's friend counter- of the show, Jojo friend of the show, Jojo. Mine is the the silver counterpart that she wears at the end of season one. Um, oh yeah, and the it's the same kind her, of deal for like her birthday party. Yeah, yeah, full length sequins, but it's silver. This one is gold and it has a really gorgeous cowl neck. It must be heavy. That uh, thing yeah. looks like it weighs twenty yes. pounds. Like. And it makes noise as she walks. Yeah, and she's got that beautiful gold fascinator with the leaves that we've the seen oak before leaf. yep mm-hmm. yeah even clara has an interesting dress there i'm not sure if i like it but it's interesting it's she's wearing that white lace number that looks it's like somewhere in between evening gown and tennis skirt like <laughs> it's got hmm. you know her head her little ribbon around her head makes it look more formal but 
she could easily wear that thing to like a croquet party on the Uh lawn on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, But it's got that kind of white lace and those frilly sleeves. Hmm. And then she has this interesting, I can't tell if it's embroidered onto the dress or if it's a brooch, but it looks like the Chanel logo. Oh, yeah. It's like these three interlocking circles that kind of looks like the Chanel. Huh. Was that just like an Is art deco? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't figure it was I, I looked closely at it and it was made out of um it was like a daisy chain. It had like mm. a little floral pattern. But I still That's, couldn't tell if it was a brooch or if it was okay. sewn on to the dress. That interlocking circle motif was on one of Franny's cloches, the Pac-Man hat. I think that is an Art Deco <laughs> thing. Like even right down to typography, you see mm-hmm. like any any word that has two O's in a row, they would yeah. often interlock them. Yep. So like the word book would have the interlocking O's. Hmm. Um, and Franny has these great, the earrings that she's wearing with that gold sequin dress. I know she's worn them before. I can't place where, but. Are they the Colombian emeralds? No, they're oh. they're gold or brass and they have they're very very dangly they have kind of that radiant pattern just below the ear and then they have this almost like a it almost looks like an Oldsmobile logo (laughs) (laughs) dangling beneath it I'm sure that's what they're going for oh yeah or is that Buick I get my oh I think it's Buick I get my emblems mixed up the cross like the vertical cross yeah I think it's I don't know my American cars very well anyway the other thing there's some little men's menswear details like there's a couple of different smoking jackets in here or Hmm. you know bathrobe kind of things um including jefferson clark is wearing a really great like honeycomb pattern kind of bluish gray one when they when we first meet him Hmm. who is at aunt p's house i guess because he's at the same pool yeah is that where marigold drowned (laughs) (laughs) is that supposed to be raymond's estate or is he staying with Aunt I, I think P? he's staying with Raymond. Okay. Because when we when Raymond is, quote, homesick, he's uh-huh. in this fancy parlor. So I took that for Raymond's house. Right. So is the pool, I mean, it's definitely the same location oh. as Aunt P's. But oh, is yeah. it supposed to, on film, be I think it's a supposed separate location? To be, I think it's supposed to be Raymond's, like, the backyard of okay. Raymond's house, I think. All right. But again, like, it's, they never really explain it. No. And I don't really care that much. So um, he also is wearing this, Jefferson Clark is wearing this um, watch with this beautiful leather band that looks period. Wow. To me. Um <laughs> I know. Who cares, right? I'm just <laughs> always amazed at what you notice that like doesn't even exist in my oh, mind. And Bert's chauffeur outfit oh, is yes. awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Completely awesome. Oh, and then Raymond is also wearing a smoking jacket when he's quote homesick, and he's wearing that white like aviator scarf with it, which yeah. seems so out of place and weird. I kind of love it. Yeah. And then Vernon Palmer, or who we think is Vernon Palmer, is wearing this beautiful linen suit hmm. that is unlike most linen suits is very very fitted usually linen suits are pretty drapey because they're worn in the summer and they uh, they're in you know linen blooms so they tend to make it drapey to just let it be its own thing but this hmm. is not it's very tight and form-fitting and very 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 tailored and it is to die for it is so good <laughs> so good huh and even Mr. Butler is wearing, we get a close-up of Mr. Butler's tie, and it's knit. It is a knit tie. Oh, really? Yeah. His little black tie has got that kind of nubbly, <laughs> oh, Mr. Butler. <sighs> um, so, I don't know if you noticed, but the Grand Hotel's entrance. Isn't that the same as episode one? I think so. Well, that's where she stays, I think, in episode one. 
but mm, I thought it was in ep- in the very very first episode, season mm-hmm. one, episode one, when the murder has taken place, and Dot like runs outside. Oh, was that at Aunt P's? This has to be Ripon Lee again, right? Yeah, like, it, don't it must be they film all of these scenes at Ripon Lee because that was I think the it's pool the same canopy. And, yeah, yeah. Well, what I noticed is it looks like film reels. Oh, that surround and I. I it I didn't notice. That's cool. But, um, it is cool. I, yeah. That jumped out at me this time. It's a really beautiful detail. There's another little detail is I love that striped megaphone that yes. they hand to Friday when she becomes a director. It's I so know. good. I, I love that too. She says it's not her style, but I was like, give it to me. It's yeah, fine. It's my style. <laughs> I love those blue and white stripes. Yeah, that was one of my other little drawings here. And also there's some, there's some little, just little, little tiny design things that I loved, like they actually got the light bulbs right and the the studio lights. Oh, and wow. That's probably a replica because these are popular. That style is yeah trendy again. But they actually got that right. And um, did you see the little um, silent film plaque that goes by that says the chase begins? <laughs> and um, like Studio A, B, C, the signage on the background is actually done in like period lettering, which was really, really, really great. Um, and they even did the end credits in that yes, silent movie style, which I, I just loved. I really liked that. Yeah. There was some nice attention to detail. I mean, there always is. Yeah. But oh, and also in the background, one of the props in the background of one of the scenes is a gold kind of Chinese screen, hmm. like a, one of those wooden screens, mm-hmm. the folding ones. And it has these, these birds on a branch motif that is just gorgeous and it's got to be vintage it does not look like something that was made yesterday Hmm. it was i wonder where they filmed this like the it must have been at their normal soundstage but then they had to transform a soundstage into a different kind of stage yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) a vintage soundstage yeah i love all the just the funny props Mm -hmm. like and i love how whatever this this bride of babylon like it's like it would have been, it's so such a cultural mixed metaphor. It's hilarious. They've got like Egyptian stuff. They've got like Hutterite statues in the background, and they've got like, you know, I don't know. It's hilarious. They they've got like Roman centurions and Greek columns. It's just it's hilarious. It just makes me laugh so hard to see all that stuff. A big mishmash. Yeah, I do. I do love Burton Sess in this one. Oh my god. They have some really fun parts. And when they do, when they are the guards and they're terrible <laughs> actors and they're wearing all that eyeliner, eyeliner I laugh so the hard. Eyeliner. Especially yeah. Bert. Yes. Especially he, Travis. He is. He's having a real good, well, bad We should have time. asked him about that because oh. that is. Yeah. Damn. That would have been a good one to talk about. Oh, God, that was, that's hilarious. Yep. I think anytime actors have the chance to go super meta like that they probably <laughs> eat it up like it's just it's got to be so fun that had to be really fun yeah way more fun than maybe their normal tasks that have to do with yeah. like chasing somebody down or yeah, yeah locating some stolen item I love how paralyzed they both get in yeah. front of the camera that's so funny <laughs> it's really cute it's so so funny as I'm often mentioning, one of the things I like about the show is the amount of attention they give to side characters. Mm. And I think Clara is such an interesting person mm-hmm. in this one. Um, the photographic memory thing is 
very that, convenient. That shit would be so walk. inadmissible in court. Oh my god. I know. I know, but they like film it through Clara's eyes. They do that super close up and the slow mo with the uh-huh. like, get me a mock tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> how many times have we seen that director like do that gesture yeah. in slow-mo yeah i i like how they present it and they like try to have us go through her photographic memory and um and i just feel like it's sort of humanizing in a way that they don't yeah. always do in other shows but they At first, have this. it seems like she and Jack are flirting with each other. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to talk about the scene. Okay. How, yeah. Where do you? How do you feel that this? <laughs> I felt what? definite flirtage happening okay. there. Okay. Um. And I'm usually oblivious. Like I'm on the scale of like, Franny and Jack squeeing fans. Like I'm way at the low end. I'm way at them. Like I'm just looking at the detail on the woodwork. Like it's <laughs> nice that they like each other and measuring it's, the but, length of their cuffs. Yeah, that's what I, I'm here for. Yeah, I am. I am. The, I am the lamest. <laughs> so even I noticed that. Okay, I. And that little smile on Clara's face, like yeah. that little secret. And she's not a smiler. She's mm-hmm. a. She's pretty deadpan. And so that little secret smile. I couldn't figure out. So I read it a little bit differently. Okay. I think a lot of people have read it as flirting. And I actually thought that Jack was sort of making fun of her a little bit. Oh. And not taking her gift seriously. And he kind of got this smirk. And it was sort of a like judgy smirk. Like, oh, really? You can see things in your mind, huh? And then, and then he's like, how about you take another look around? Yeah. And that was when I think it kind of broke and like became, he was just kindly chiding her. But I, for some reason, didn't read it as flirting. But I think it, I think it might be. I was worried that Jack was being a jerk to her. He that was have my, been. That was my main no, fear. It's a thin line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I was curious to see how you read that situation. Yeah. But well, I, I mean, it, I think that speaks a lot to. I don't know if he was judging her. I think that's a good example of how below the radar some of this sexist behavior is Mm -hmm. for women because there's so much plausible deniability and so much like reading of subtle social cues and maybe misreading things or or counting on people misreading things Mm -hmm. so I think it could very well be true I was looking at it as sort of part of Jack's character where he's stepping into the jerk zone but then he like catches himself and realizes, mm. oh yeah, this can actually be really helpful and I should maybe take it seriously. Yeah. So I don't know. But, but I, I didn't see it as like, if that's true, if he, if he was smirking, which he could well have, have been doing. I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily think that it was because, just because of sexism. I would have thought mm. it was because, well, I'm a cop and you're not. Yeah. He's used to having to look at like wacko theories from where, from whoever. Yeah. Um, can we talk about old movies? Sure. So the thing that I do like about this is this nod to that transition between silent films and talkies. That was a huge cultural touchstone. And in fact, it was a worldwide cultural touchstone because films were not just made in Hollywood. Film was an international thing by that point. And so the change to talkies was really felt around the world and it changed the industry for absolutely everybody and in really interesting ways so they referenced the jazz singer it was not the first talkie film but it was the first full-length talkie it was released in october of 1927 and it was released using the new technology that was branded vitaphone 
Vitaphone. And they used Vitaphone technology for a while, but not very long. It kind of had a it had a monopoly for a little while, but not for very long. Hmm. Um, Vitaphone was a new technology that relied on sound on disc sound. So like the playing of a record or mm-hmm. a gramophone in the background that they paired with the that they paired with the film. Um, a parallel technology that was developed a, around the same time was sound on film. So rather than having the sound the soundtrack on a separate piece of technology that was then it had to be incorporated, mm-hmm. the f- the film itself was able to record sound. Huh. Um and sound on film won out because um it's impossible to edit sound on disc for one thing. Oh, so yeah. if they go and change things, they have to re-record the whole thing. Oh, jeez. And yeah. the other problem was when they played them in the theaters, it was almost impossible to synchronize sound on disc with the film. So you'd have like this bad Japanese dubbing thing happening uh-huh. where the, the dialogue would be slightly off or the music I would be slightly off. Yeah. So that was a major problem. So um, even though Vitaphone was revolutionary, it didn't stick around very long because people went with sound on film hmm. instead. Um, but one of the subplots of this film, of this episode here, was this guy with the really bad American accent, I might add. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Jefferson Clark, it turns out his job is to sell sound technology to the local theaters. And that really was a major, major, major element of the transition from silent films to talking films. Because it wasn't enough for the studios to get on board and add sound technology to their films, which was hugely popular. There were tens of thousands of theaters just in the U.S. alone that then had to retrofit their technology, which just happened recently again when they went from uh, film to digital. digital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you remember... so. it was, it was certainly the case in our town, and I'm sure it was the case everywhere, that the smaller theaters couldn't compete because they couldn't come up with the $75,000 per projector. Yeah, it was a huge amount of money yeah. required to change out the technology. Yeah, so it was the same thing then. Um, in, so, I don't know, There's I could go off for <laughs> days on this stuff, but... The other thing that was kind of an early, ca- that was a casualty of this stuff was um, before talkies came along, there were many, 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 many film studios. It wasn't just Hollywood. Hollywood was just one piece of the market share. There mm-hmm. were small film studios up and down the West Coast, including here in Tacoma, Washington. Um, recently, the silent film, The Eyes of the Totem, right. resurfaced here, and they <laughs> yeah. managed to restore it, and they recorded a soundtrack, and they, they screened it a couple of years ago. Um, that that studio actually burned down in a fire because of the early nitrate films and things. They were highly flammable, like the ending of this mm-hmm. episode. Um, the Eyes of the Totem was lost. These early nitrate films often disintegrated. If they didn't burn up in a fire, they would disintegrate. <laughs> They're really unstable. Um, but after talkies came along, these small studios couldn't compete because they couldn't pay for the technology Hmm. to to be re-recording all of this stuff right. with, with sound and buy all this sound equipment and and pay for musicians to record sound and all of this stuff. Where you know, whereas usually when they would when they would project these silent films, they would have an organist yeah. in the theater playing the soundtrack. So it was kind of like a way to show films on the cheap. Mm-hmm. And suddenly these smaller studios couldn't do it anymore. And so they kind of consolidated into the big ones that we know now, like Paramount and. Um, RKO Pictures, that was brand new around that time. Um, But interestingly, in India, 
the film Bollywood basically started because of the talkies. The sound technology allowed them to do really innovative things with adding music to their scores, and hmm. that kind of became what they were known for. So Bollywood kind of started because of that. And in Japan, talkies were really slow to, to become popular there because at, previously Japan had a tradition of showing silent films and at the same time having live actors on stage acting stuff out while there was a film in the background. <laughs> so they didn't need a soundtrack. I want to see that. I know. I know. And this went on for years after that. That seems really labor intensive. Like you're doubling up all of you know, I wonder wow. if it was a way to preserve the theater traditions of like mm, no theater or kabuki mm-hmm. theater or whatever. Yeah. In, with the advent of oh, film technology. I think so that's cool. so cool. Yeah. Um, I would and, love to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff about this. Like, mm. um, I think one of the earliest short sound films was the filming of Charles Lindbergh's takeoff on his flight to Paris and that was screened in May of 1927 so wow. right before the jazz singer came out what is the film where the train comes into the station that is the that's one of the that's maybe the earliest I think it was the earliest film ever that was the Lumiere brothers in France and that was like 1902 or 1892 okay. something like that um but all it did was show a train coming into a station and people fled the theater they were so scared it's a huge screen and it's they moving thought it was like you. this life-size train yeah. they thought this train was going to come out of the and screen if, and if you've had no prior experience yeah. with a screen or moving film yeah. it would be pretty scary but yeah I, I read that like women <laughs> at least one woman miscarried because she was so terrified it's so crazy hard to believe and it could it could be made up yeah who knows where I got this information well, and you know there's all kinds of stories about early film like if you've ever read the invention of Hugo Cabret which got turned into the movie Hugo um that just came out a few years ago it was a, I think it was Martin mm. Scorsese did it great okay. it's a great film it's kind of all about the early days of film and how these smaller studios they all went out of, they went bankrupt when the when the talkies came along because they had put all of this money into these lavish productions with these beautiful scenic scrims and these props and everything but they had put all their money into that so that when they had to pay for sound technology they couldn't make it but one of my favorite early studios that actually did make it was the Ealing Studios in London hmm. they're still around oh yeah they are they're the oldest continually operating studio in the world and they um they embraced the talkies in like 1931, so they were a little bit later. Talkies came to Europe a little bit later. Um, but then they just rolled with it, and they ended up doing some of their best work after Hollywood came into prominence. So they did, uh, my favorites are The Lavender Hail Mob and Kind Hearts and Coronets. And both of those films have Alec Guinness, a very young mm. Alec Guinness wow. in them, and they're hilarious. And <laughs> in Kind Hearts and Coronets, Alec Guinness plays almost every role in the film men, women. He plays every member of this family that this other character is murdering. So it's like a hilarious murder mystery. Anyway, I'm going off on a major <laughs> tangent here. Um, so I, they, they referenced almost all of this stuff in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of a nice little touchstone right down to the, like the, the little scenic elements and the, you know, swapping out the fake props for the real props. Right. And I don't know. That was, that was a fun detail. That was, I feel like the redeeming quality of this for me. Yeah. It always is. It's always the details that I I get. Yeah. Again, I don't care about the mystery. Apparently Lily did it all. Apparently she did. Cause she, she wanted to be, who was, who was the actress she was going to be the next. So I kept thinking Clara Bow, but that's not it. Yeah. It basically was. I can't remember. 
what her aspirations were exactly, but the scene where she has, um, what's his face? Jefferson Clark all tied bound. up in nitrate film and nitrate <laughs> film is flammable. Oh, I would have gotten it's away so, with it if it weren't for you kids. Exactly. It's so over the top. It's I love so it. It's, it's very Scooby-Doo. It's also kind of like game of Thrones because it's a throne. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it also totally made me think game of, of Ang- chairs. <laughs> <laughs> made me think of inglorious bastards. The oh, yeah yeah the end of that because yeah that stuff does burn but it is <sighs> so funny and over the top and she's got him all wound up it's it's great and then Franny has to save of the course, day Franny's a hell of a shot yeah yeah good sharpshooter um oh so kind of under the category of what would Franny Fisher do I love how she handled the crew when she became director. Because feed the people exactly feed them that is a smart woman right there yep feed them breakfast get them on your side get them on your side right away exactly smart Brilliant. lady I know there's champagne did you see Bert went straight <laughs> Bert for the champagne like, right in front yeah yeah I'm pretty happy about it yeah, yeah. no it was it was brilliant she's oh. a smart lady she is a smart lady I um so the the only two lines that I wrote down the only two like quippity quip lines that I wrote down were um when Raymond says to Franny, your sort of fun always led to trouble. And she says, still does. Still does. Um, <laughs> so true. That, yes. And then when she has her um, Angela Lansbury moment and she corners the guy in the, in the office, he says, hey, Annie Oakley. And she says, I think you'll find she uses a rifle. <laughs> That's a really good one, too. Yeah. I love when she has Jefferson Clark at gunpoint mm-hmm. in the office mm-hmm. and he's asking her something like she asks him what are you doing here and he's like i could ask the same of you she says we have a quaint custom here the oh. person with the gun asks the questions yeah. Yeah. i love that so good <laughs> you know as much as i was ragging on jefferson clark's american accent vernon palmer's american accent was very good i forgot to look up who was actually was anyone american i can't remember jefferson clark Maybe he was, and he's an American with a bad American accent, but... <laughs> I've met some of those. No. It does no. happen, but Vernon Palmer was Australian, because he, he switches accents later. Right, okay. Um, and I thought his American accent was excellent. Yeah. I mean, it was so good that I didn't notice yeah. it, so I guess that's pretty and good. And usually, like, usually Australians can totally do the American accent, because half of the dudes who play Americans in, like, rom-coms are Australian, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Australians are very good. What is with that? I know. There's one terrible American accent in season three, but I won't go into it. We'll get there soon enough. Um, Oh, I wanted to point this out. So when Jefferson Clark is all bound up in that chair, he's telling Phryne to shoot the film quickly to make it stop going towards him. And he calls her a crazy bitch. Oh, I missed that. I think this is the only time the B word is used. I think you're in right. In the entire series. I think you're right. And he delivers it in a really, like, it's a, it's not, it doesn't have all that much bite to it. Like, it could be a lot more aggressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that that word existed in this yeah, alternate universe. Yeah, I've kind of come, become accustomed to not hearing that word in this. Exactly. It's, That's why it stood it's out. Re- it's really nice, actually. Yeah. Normally, it would be actually kind of a tame epithet. 
in right. another show. Right. Like the way he said it was just, it was not that caustic. Um, right. And you knew it was because he was terrified for his life. Like yeah. it was, and normally I would be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I mean, I still would. I would still be compartmentalizing everything and being yeah. like, if I could just get around that, I'd like this. But no, it's, it's so unusual in this show. And yeah. I think it is the only time. And so it made me wonder like, why? You know, like if it's going to be used do you once, think, Do you think it was ever? because the, it was like an Americanism? Oh, that's a really good point. Because I don't think, I don't think that's a big Australian mm. I think you're right. Slang I bet that's thing. it. Yeah, they would say like, although we've talked about Sheila versus I don't know. We I, never hear Sheila. We only have heard we've heard Sheila like one time mm-hmm. on this show. But, I think it was Bert. But that might be a newer <laughs> that might be a newer expression. I yeah. don't know. Huh. I don't know enough about Australian huh. slang. I like your American theory. I think bitch is an Americanism. Okay. That makes sense because yeah, why was it not used ever? I mean, I'm glad, very glad that yeah. it wasn't ever used any other time but anyway it's all um, i can think of is have you seen julie and julia mm -hmm. when julia first meets simone beck and they're talking about madame brassard who runs the culinary institute you know and she says she says madame brassard is that who you're talking about she is a bitch (laughs) (laughs) and julia's like yes she is like it's so good (laughs) So now whenever I hear that word, that's oh, what I think of. I, okay, I'm going to need to figure that. out a way to work more Julia Child into oh. our conversations so that you can do awesome <laughs> impressions. That is going to the top of my list now. Okay, we've managed to uh, talk about everything else, I think. So. Oh, 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 oh I have okay. one more thing. At the very end, I think Nathan Page gets a little real-life cameo in here because she asked him if he had any any boyhood dreams and he says cycling the tour de france yep and that's so good i know that was a nice way to insert some did Nathan he Page. ever it, do you have to be french to do the tour no. of france no you can be on a team for, did he ever do it i i feel like maybe he did Fandom. i know that did he, nathan page ever do the <laughs> tour de france it was a really did. nice little dovetail i hope he did i hope his yeah. boyhood dream came true Oh, and I like Phryne's response when he asks her about her girlhood dreams. And she says, I'm living them, Inspector, with a very mischievous look in her eye. So good. Um, so now, now do we talk about it? Yeah. The scene that should not exist. God, you almost got me to forget it. I'm sorry. We, ha- we can't get through this episode without talking no. about the scene. And it's, and it's two scenes, really, because it's at the beginning mm-hmm. and at the end. She and Raymond and I think Jack, maybe not Jack, are walking in onto the set. Yes. And the man who plays the slave yep. is over talking to some other actors, but he does a kind of a double take. Like He looks at the group, and I'm wondering if it was Phryne. I, I don't know. I got the sense that he was looking at her because then later she and Dot are sitting in chairs and he's standing behind them and she is like he brought her the chair, ogling him yeah. so hard. Like I could all, I could like yes. feel it through the screen. I think they had a, a thing building during the over the course of the episode. But would it be so hard to give the poor man a speaking role for God's sake? I like, know, unnamed. <laughs> like he's was, about as objectified as it, he can possibly get. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know, that happens to women how many times, but well, yeah, I true. felt for the guy. I was like, it, this was just such a tone deaf scene. And yeah, I don't... so he's being flogged at the beginning uh-huh. and then he's in 
an effing shackle at the end yeah. with a close up of the shackle on the guy's leg. It's <sighs> I, I I just I don't understand. I don't understand the decision making process for this scene. I also think it almost would have worked better if they'd put it on Friny. Yes. Right. Yes, that right? would have like been I feel a like tight into little, that. Yeah, yeah. Like that'd be a really good little reversal yeah, and, and like a be, statement on yes. the thing and give him some power, even if he doesn't like he's objectified earlier and maybe the tables are turned at this point. Like, I, I think she'd be into it. I think it would totally play into her character as an adventurous sexual being, yeah. and and then you know not objectify him like, as a. That was such a big misstep. Like, I I don't want to hear about the rich white woman's fantasy of having her own black slave in her bed. Like, oh my God. So bad. Yeah. It it should not. I don't care if it's Australia and not somewhere else. Like, that that scene, like, they've done such a... They're usually so sensitive. Not always. There have been some flaws. But but this is like... Usually they're on the side of the oppressed, marginalized Uh peoples of the world. This was sort of an unforgivable And And, you know, I know that they didn't have slavery in Australia, but they they sure as shit have a long and terrible history of um, black, white, terrible relations anyway, and oppression of Aboriginal peoples. And the whole thing with the half-castes, and that we talked about this before, Mm -hmm. and the, oh my God. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I did, I did like that her room, her bedroom was like wrecked. Wrecked. <laughs> they, yeah. 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 They, um, they made themselves a mess. Yes, they did. And she's all hoarse when Mr. Butler's like, excuse me, madam. It's like, what is it? <laughs> it had been a long night. I guess that was a crazy rap party. When, wow. when they got done with, I don't know. Two person rap party. Yeah. Right. Rap party in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, okay. All right. Maybe that's where we should end with it. Um, <sighs> I know. I know. Why? Yeah. Um, so. Okay. Well, that went over like a fart in <laughs> church. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Any little tidbit that you want to bring up? Because we want to leave this with a nicer taste. There were some, our- uh. You know, there there were some fun little details, like the movie posters in the office, in the background. Yes, like some of the old yes, movie yes, posters. yes. I don't know if those were real or not, but they, like if those were real posters or replica or, or just made up by some graphic designer on staff, I don't know. That was a lucky graphic designer who ever got to do that. Yeah, I want that job. Uh-huh. Um, and they're also, I know that I've ranted in the past about supposedly old magazines that are obviously not old they did a much better job this time i thought that the movie magazines they were so dead on yep i mean they right down to like the little typefaces and the quality of the paper and Mm. they they really nailed it this time i love that little tidbit where dot doesn't want to let go of the movie magazines even though they're stinky because they've been in the trash i love dot there was another little friny giving her a lesson on how to be a woman there because the article she caught her reading was Secrets of a Movie Kiss. Right. And she said, there's nothing wrong with picking up, what was it? She called it like makeup tips or something or? Uh, yeah. She didn't come right out and say, there's nothing wrong with learning how to be a better kisser. <laughs> she didn't go there. Right. She was very delicate about it. And of course, 
Dot is all flustered. It's like a nice little reprisal of Ruddy Gore because, you know, Hugh is learning how to kiss from the Kama Sutra Mm -hmm. in that one and Dot is learning how to kiss from movie gossip magazines. It's so cute. (sighs) Yeah. That's pretty adorable. I'd forgotten about that moment. That is a very nice moment. Yeah. (laughs) What say you for a toast? The only thing I can really come up with is... All this makes me think of, because this is like Franny goes to the movies, Franny makes <laughs> movies, is that is our continued hope that there will actually be a Franny movie. Mm, yes. So maybe we should toast to the magic of cinema and may it result in a Franny film. Cheers. Cheers.